When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, Episode 42. They live in wisdom who see themselves in all and all in them, who have renounced every selfish desire and sense craving tormenting the heart. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's happening, action takers? AJ here, and you are listening to My 7 Chakras, your show for information, stories, and ideas that will change the way you look at the world around you. And today, I am stoked to bring you our featured guest, Robert Kapeki. So, Robert, are you ready to inspire? Yes, I am, Ajitya. Awesome. So, Robert Kapeki is the author of How to Survive Life and death, the story of his three near-death experiences and what he learned from them from Connery Press. His spiritual writing appears at Gaia.com, themindfulword.org and his popular blog. So Robert, I've given our listeners a mini intro. So take about a minute and tell us more about yourself. I just became an author recently. For many, many years, I've been an artist, a commercial artist. I had amidst uh, all those years, I had these three near-death experiences. And um, despite having had them, I had not realized the nature of my spiritual path until after meditating for a number of years. I took up the uh, more spiritual path and and the practice of meditation. And in the course of that, I realized or was called upon to begin writing about my experiences. And I did that starting about five years ago or so and submitted an unfinished manuscript to a publisher. And they sent it to a larger publisher and they bought it. And I discovered that I am a writer. <laughs> so mm-hmm. for the last couple of years now, I've been writing for the sites that you um, that you mentioned. And I'm working on my second book now, too. Well, thanks a lot for that introduction. Now, I know that we're going to discuss some groundbreaking topics today. But before we dive in, we usually begin our show with an inspirational quote. So, Robert, what is your favorite inspirational quote? And give us an example of how you apply this quote to your everyday life. 
Well, this is this is one of my very favorites, and it comes from the Bhagavad Gita, from the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. They live in wisdom who see themselves in all and all in them, who have renounced every selfish desire and sense craving tormenting the heart. <laughs> I like that one because it reminds me that whenever I look at uh, others, or really when I look at anything, I see the nature of my authentic self there. I identify with other people or certainly try to all the time. And for me, that sense of compassion is the best way to get through life. I can't say that I really learned those lessons through my near-death experiences, but they uh, probably helped for me to realize that humility is the, uh, is the ground of all of these realizations. And compassion is the secret to living happily, I think. Now, I know that you're a proponent of meditation. So let's imagine that you're teaching a group of people how to meditate out in the beautiful outdoors. And someone asks you, Robert, what is the main focus at this point in your life? What would you tell them? The main focus in my life? Well, when I'm meditating, the main focus of my life is stilling my mind, is becoming a, a witness to my thoughts. Um, when I'm outside, which is where I meditate a lot, um, particularly in the warm months when it's real cold here in, in Brooklyn, I don't uh, sit outside a great deal. But in the summertime, I have a, a small house on the upper Delaware River in Pennsylvania where I actually like to sit on a rock by the edge of the river and, uh, and simply allow myself to enter into the spirit of nature, so to speak. And imagine myself as a witness to my thoughts, as that um, eternal aspect of myself who witnesses the ever-changing process of my thinking. So when I'm helping people to meditate, I'll usually talk to them about um, three different means of meditation that, I, uh, that work for me, in each by themselves or in combination. And one would be this intellectual approach where we witness the thinking and watch it as though thoughts are arising on a screen or coming into our view and allow them to move through and pass on mm -hmm. so that there's this kind of analytical approach to it. Another would be through the physical aspects of counting your breaths, say, for example, or trying to become very sensitive to your heart beating. And then a third way would be a devotional focus, which when I'm sitting in nature seems to be the, uh, the best means for me because I can focus on what I consider uh, to be the ground of God, so to speak, which is in nature the, uh, the veil between ourselves, the membrane between ourselves and the divine is so thin, you know, that, mm -hmm. that I can then focus on um, my understanding of my higher power or of God in my heart, whether it's Jesus or Buddha, or perhaps it's the bird song that I can hear, or mm -hmm. the sound of the water that I can hear. And so this devotional kind of focus in meditation uh, can help me get to a great place too, or any combination of those three, you know, of those three approaches that works for me. Well, thanks a lot for clarifying these three different approaches to meditation. Uh, I think it really breaks it down and helps people who are from different aspects or different spaces within life at this point in time understand how they can meditate. It can be the intellectual approach, the physical approach, or as you mentioned, the spiritual approach on the ground of God. 
Now the foundations of our show and of life in general I believe are the energy centers within our body called the chakras and I know that you've also written about these energy centers in your book how to survive life and death so my question is what is your definition of the chakras and what is the significance of chakras in your life well my my definition of the chakras is their definition right is mm-hmm. is is what i've learned by the by means that anyone has learned about the chakras coming down through the ages the way that they operate in my life is that i have become sensitive to uh the nature of what the lower chakras mean to me the sort of a support and connection and Uh, feelings associated with control or with being able to digest life, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then um, my spirituality really begins at my heart chakra. I'm a big believer in the, uh, the cognitive intelligence of the heart. And so energetically, I believe that uh, I'm centered in my heart chakra, that uh, then as I move up from from, uh, my heart chakra and the ability to express and to uh, speak my mind and to see things as they really are, and then at my very crown, naturally, is kind of what I consider to be my my plug, my my plug in Mm -hmm. to the divine so to speak. So uh, what I wrote about in my book had to do with um, utilizing the ideas of the chakras to help one uh, release from life. In my near-death experiences, I had a sense of myself uh, being alive in consciousness, but in a different kind of consciousness than I experience in human form. But I really was functioning, I felt, from my heart chakra up. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have that sense of uh, survival and of um, finding a ground and of sexual impulses and that sort of thing that I I generally consider as coming from everything from my navel down, you know, from my, my lower three chakras. Uh, so for me, the uh, the release energetically from this life, and as has been suggested by, for example, in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, would be a release from these stages that the chakras lead us through on our way up to our crown chakra, where I imagine, uh, ideally, one spirit would exit from uh, that didn't happen for me so much, and so you know, I don't, uh, I don't advise people to follow my example of having three near-death experiences. <laughs> this is not a means to be recommended. True, true. Um, I'm hoping that uh, that next time in in advanced old age, I'll be able to uh, to take a try at uh, releasing myself energetically from my chakras as I depart this life again. Well, thanks a lot for that explanation. And moving on, could you talk to us about the three near-death experiences that you faced? Were they very different from each other? Yes, they were. They were all quite different from one another. And so that makes me um, very interested in uh, investigating other people's near-death experiences. Mm. Uh, Many people who have one near-death experience, it becomes quite uh, enlarged. It becomes quite um, elaborate, kind of. And I know that I can add... Uh, I can add details to each of mine, but the fact that they were all different makes me uh, maybe a little more 
interested in exploring the nature of consciousness after this life. Mm-hmm. In my first near-death experience, each of them, by the way, was sort of a classic motif. My first near-death experience was a car accident where I saw myself from above. I was at the level of a street lamp looking down at the car crash, and I saw my body partially hanging out of the window. I saw lights go on in the neighborhood that it took place, and people come out. It was dusk. It was getting dark. People came out and and, uh, were talking to one another, and an ambulance came and put my body into the uh, ambulance. And I tried to talk to people, but I had no effect on them. And then I moved into uh, what I can only call like a gray cloud, kind of, and ended up in a place that was sort of like a park having an interview of sorts. And I don't remember real details, only uh, partially. And in the many years that intervening, I have tried not to... uh, not to create too many details mm-hmm. on it based on my imagination, but only to consider this great lesson of spiritual perspective that I am, in a sense, an avatar, as it were, riding around in this body, mm-hmm. just like I was riding around in the car that I got a crash in, you know, and uh, and that I can be, I can separate myself from the regular functions of just being a human uh, lots of times. And lots of times that really helps me in my day-to-day life. Thinking, you know, this I'm experiencing because I'm a human being. This is what we humans go through. But I can attach myself or detach myself from that with love and attach myself then to a, uh, an eternal presence, so to speak. Uh, my second near-death experience, I had what's, ca- what's called a life review mm-hmm. where... Um, I had a toxic reaction uh, to a chemical and ended up um, entering into a kind of a white cloud, like you might see looking out the window of an aircraft if you're approaching the sunshine up above the clouds. Very brilliant white cloud. And in the middle of the cloud, a kind of screen opened up and began showing me these scenes from my life that were kind of interactive. And, And these were not scenes that I necessarily wanted to remember they weren't highlights of my life in any any way that i uh, would normally think of it however they were uh, points in my life that i probably should have learned something and probably hadn't learned something from Uh, they were moments of sort of pivotal personal experience and relationships with people i entered into uh, three or four of these one after another in this kind of interactive way and then um, the person that was in the uh, the place that I was physically uh, was becoming very upset and began hollering at me, and I was kind of pulled back into uh, reality, into my physical being. I just kind of backed out of the cloud, you know, this, this these images closed down, and I backed out of the cloud, and the room filled in around me, kind of these, you know, sort of hard, dark-edged reality back to uh, back to this life. In that experience, I realized the importance of presence, that uh, every single moment that we live, we have an opportunity to be present in a way that can really inform our being, that uh, wherever you are and whoever you're with, if you listen to them carefully and if you identify with them as strongly as you can, if you appreciate your surroundings and live in the moment, that that's a great gift that that is the same whether we're in this life or in another life 
in the life beyond this one. We still will need to appreciate the opportunity to be present in the moment. Mm-hmm. My third one then was uh, my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I was beaten up by skinheads, by a gang of skinheads. I was hit in the back of the head without uh, um, seeing it coming with something very hard and knocked unconscious. And then they apparently stomped on me and kicked me and stuff. And so I was I was really beat up physically. In that uh, experience, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't go to a place that was as light or as friendly. In many ways, it was. I felt uh, surrounded by a benevolent presence, but it was a bit more womb-like mm-hmm. or almost subterranean in nature, kind of dark. But I had these loving presences around me. That even though I wanted to stay there, I didn't want to come back to life. I kind of had it at, at that point. Yeah. I felt these hands on me, and I was gently forced back into uh, into this life. And I opened my eyes. I was laying on my back on, this, on the sidewalk in a small town in Arizona, and there was an emergency medical technician over me, and he looked down at me and said, he's back. Mm. And in that experience, I learned that, that each Each of us has purpose. Each of us has a specific reason to be here, whether it's to fulfill our karma, whether it's to connect more completely to love and to become um, to become a conduit for love. Uh, even if it's just to be here for somebody in, a, in what you might consider a humble or simple life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not all going to be movie stars. Mm-hmm. There's a profound purpose within the structure of your many lives that that role is playing, and that's why you're here is to be uh, to be grounded by love to your authentic self and to experience it, this life as fully as you can. Mm-hmm. And that's them. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot for sharing. It seems as if the three near-death experiences of yours, each of them had a particular theme. Like you mentioned in the first case, uh, you actually had the third-person perspective. Uh, and while you tried talking to people, that didn't work. In the second case, uh, the learning that you had was the importance of being present, especially in the midst of others. Uh, and in the third, you had that realization that each of us, uh, as we are on this earth, we have a definite purpose or a true calling that we were given during this lifetime. It might not be stellar. It not, we not, might not become, uh, you know, big businessmen or, you know, top professionals or actors. It might be more simple. But as you mentioned, we're all playing a role. And that's what really resonated with me. Now, on the same topic, uh, people in general are afraid of death. My question is, should we be afraid of death? I think that that's part of being human. That's right. Like my first near-death experience, I am a human being. And as such, of course, I'm concerned with my survival, <laughs> you know, and my my physical safety. So naturally, as, as part and parcel of being a human being, uh, we have an innate fear of, of death because of the sense also, I think, of obliteration, the possibility of obliteration. Who, you know, where will I be? Where, you know, who will I be? What will happen to me? Well, in that sense, I can, I can guarantee people that we continue. That, that was my experience, is that we continue on in consciousness in a different, lighter, kind of more holistic way was my experience of it. But that uh, it's natural to be, uh, to be afraid of death and definitely to be afraid of pain. <laughs> you know, nobody 
wants to be in pain. Um, however, my three near-death experiences were not extended, you know, illnesses uh, where I saw it coming. They were sudden. And um, I was able to basically um, move on just like stepping in, into another room, just like from one room to another. And so in that sense, I can assure everyone that it's like going to sleep or it's like stepping from one room into another where everything is quite different from the previous room you were in. Like what's, uh, what's going to happen tomorrow? You might get up and find yourself in a different world, so to speak. And uh, it was very much like that. So people needn't have uh, the kind of animal fear of, of death uh, because we, we aren't obliterated. We continue on, was my experience. So that is so true. We definitely have that question of what will become of me once I die? What will happen of whatever I have spent my entire lifetime to create? What will become of that? And yes, it's also about that pain because we cannot express, I cannot express uh, or understand even or comprehend how much pain will that take. But I love the analogy that you shared of we're essentially moving from one room to another and uh, in that process, uh, I guess, moving from one life to another. Now, many people with near-death experiences report feeling as though they were floating outside their bodies, moving rapidly through a tunnel towards light or seeing deceased loved ones. So from your interaction with others as well who've had this uh, near-death experience, in general, what happens during this near-death experience? Well, um, you know, like I explained, my th- my three were all different. And so I can't, uh, I can't tell you authoritatively what exactly happens. Uh, I relate to it in the same sense as I experience this life. You know, I was born in a certain place. I live in a certain place. I see certain things out my window and I deal with certain people in my life. Somebody else halfway around the world experiences this life in an entirely different way. And in fact, somebody right down the block may experience this world in an entirely different way. In that sense, I believe that we experience these worlds, these lives, uh, from one to the next in entirely different ways that are necessary for our own spiritual evolutions. So uh, some people, uh, you know, I had three near-death experiences, but I never got to go through the tunnel. (laughs) Mm. Everybody else gets to go through the tunnel, but I apparently didn't get to. I have uh, relationships with deceased relatives, but also through my meditation practice, uh, not so much in my near-death experiences. I didn't really have that happen. But I do have this sense when I experience life through an open heart and with an open mind, and when I meditate and connect myself with this uh, field of being that I know all of life to be connected through, I can uh, be in contact with uh, deceased spirits, Uh, It's not in the same way that I'm talking to you right now, but at times it's not that much difference. It's just a matter of uh, how open I am to it and how much I allow myself to experience them in my heart. And uh, and so it's hard for me to uh, say, and this is one of my big fascinations with other people's near-death experiences, you know, what happens in any given near-death experience, I imagine to be the product of, of you know, what you might call karma, right? Mm-hmm. Th- that uh, this is the nature of my individual being. When uh, the thing that I did realize uh, when I was on the other side, so to speak, 
was that I was conscious and aware, and I was myself. I had a sense of Robert still being Robert. I don't know if I had that name, but I certainly felt like me. Mm -hmm. But I felt also connected to everything else in a much more holistic way. There were far fewer barriers uh, or obstacles in my experiencing a sense of oneness and unity with everything. Uh, So that, I imagine, has an awful lot to do with the uh, kind of freedom, the kind of floating sensation that people have. Because I did not feel tied to a body, I didn't. I wasn't aware of my physical presence in nearly the same way that I am right now. Believe me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the only thing. That's the way that I think about that. The differences in people's experiences and what they might mean to each of us. Mm-hmm. There has always been this universal question about what happens. After the death, and over the years, there have been numerous cases of kids of the age of six or seven remembering their past lives, their friends, their family members, or maybe wars that they have been a part of. Do you believe in reincarnation? Oh, yes, very much so. And in fact, I I believe that that consciousness itself, in a way, is uh, kind of uh, interchangeable with a lot of people's concept of God. Uh, Because uh, to me, it is a loving and benevolent uh, kind of spirit that is ever-present and that animates and energizes everything. Uh, It's kind of a, a sort of a quantum field of realization, so to speak, so that whatever life we're in, we are realizing the material needs that our spirit has for it to learn in that life. And so these uh, instances, like so many are documented from the um, University of Virginia, uh, of children having um, scars that are uh, like uh, the person that they realized that they once were, who led a completely different life in a completely different place that the children can even describe accurately and have no means of knowing the details. There is so much actual documented evidence of reincarnation, and in fact, of of many of these transpersonal phenomena that have to do with the continuation of consciousness, um, that I I find it um, remarkable that it's not more accepted uh, generally in our cultures, but that that I realize that it's taking some time for people to, um, to break through and make these realizations. So, The fact that people don't believe in uh, reincarnation or in transpersonal communications or, you know, transmutations of a spirit from one form to another, I think is something that is slowly gaining power as this kind of universal consciousness enters the world more and more all the time. Helped along by the Internet, I think, too. No, I completely agree. A lot of people, in fact, uh, a large part of society in general, has grown a bit skeptical in the sense that they don't really believe in the power of faith or belief, uh, but they want some proof, empirical proof, studies or research in order to validate uh, things like reincarnation or the mind-body connection. But I completely agree that things are changing. People, uh, in fact, leaders and uh, corporate leaders even are becoming uh, more conscious and are having that intention to grow and scale conscious businesses as well. So uh, there is definitely a shift. And I've read also that uh, meditation has played a huge role in your life. You've alluded to that a while back. My question is, what is the importance of meditation and what advice would you give to 
people, youngsters even, who find it hard to focus and meditate. Yeah, what what to think about when you're not supposed to be thinking, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a great yeah. challenge. And well, like I was describing earlier, becoming the witness to your thoughts, I think, is probably the most important uh, lesson of meditation that I can pass along to somebody. We know that if we um, if we could hear out loud the thoughts that are running through our mind all the time, it would be this crazy uh, kind of jumble of things all attached to one another, ideas attached serially one to the next, Mm -hmm. sometimes not even having much connection uh, to one another. And so the, um, the actual mechanism of thinking is something that is like a tool uh, for us that we can focus on an issue or on a problem to resolve it you know, to to try to find some solution for it. And that thinking part of our minds is really, really effective for that. But then there's this whole other part of us. And and this intuitive intelligence is the kind of thing that I would like to um, pass along to kids particularly. You know, when you walk into a room and it doesn't feel right, or when you know somebody is going to be somewhere and then they are, To me, this is an example of how we really are connected by this field of consciousness and so to this greater intelligence that we hear from our intuition or our still small voice within. Not the talky, chatty, figuring out, trying to figure everything out sort of intellect that races around all the time. And that's what meditation is really good for. It has been uh, such a wonderful thing for me is that I'm able, in the same way that I was able to look down on my body, right, from my out-of-body experience and witness the human experience beneath me, I'm able to dissociate myself lovingly from that action of my life, of my human the thoughts and the worries and the concerns and how I interact with life. And I can find this very uh, peaceful and grounded place where I'm my authentic self and where I needn't have any worries and where faith is not a, a conjecture. It's not speculative. Faith is an actual exercise. It's a practice that I take part in because I know that there is this deeper reality to life that I can rely on. Instead of having to rely uh, on myself and whether I'll be able to figure everything out and do everything right, because I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, so meditation teaches me how to detach from from that. You know, it's said that um, suffering is caused by egoism. And so any connection that I'm making to life by means of my ego is going to be difficult. Um, if I can become a witness, a safe, free witness of my thoughts and my ego like that, then I can live in that place where a life is really a calm, beautiful, sort of timeless experience. So there you go, action takers. The key is to become a witness to your thoughts, to just be more mindful of what you're thinking. What are those streams of words or thoughts that are coming out of your mind? And really, there are two parts of our mind, the thinking part of our mind, which is used to solve these analytical problems. And then there is the intuitive mind, which really is much more powerful and helps you access the infinite intelligence, that small voice within that gives you those hunches, that gut feeling. And at the end of the day, thanks for clarifying, Robert, that it is a practice. You won't get everything right at the first instant, but definitely once you focus, once you include this in your practice, you will 
get there. Yeah, and as, as crazy as it sounds, we don't get things right so that we can learn, you know? <laughs> you don't learn much by uh, things that go right. Everything, you know, you just go with the flow. It's not a problem to surrender uh, into a life that's going well. But it's the things that are difficult. It's the friction in life that makes us need to look at the way that we're dealing with it so that we might overcome it, learn what we need to learn to proceed uh, more effectively in life. Mm-hmm. Now, I've read in many books that the point of life is to be happy, to live in the moment as if there is no tomorrow. And in your book, I believe you share three tips, three tips for happiness. Could you just share even one of those tips with our listeners? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, it's certainly the point is to be happy, definitely. I, th- I think more generally it's to remove the obstacles to love in our life and to experience it coming out of us and coming into us and all around us. And that certainly is, um, is the same thing as happiness in many ways. My, my first tip for happiness in the book, and I do have three of them, is uh, a radical kindness, I call it. And radical kindness, I like to present to people and to your listeners I'd like to present it as something of a challenge give it a try for a day or two and see how it works for you and it simply amounts to this all day long in whatever situation you're in and whomever you're dealing with whatever station they're in whether it's a a clerk or your boss be as absolutely authentically kind to that as sincerely kind to that person as you can be without acting like a boob or you know (laughs) to sharing gossip or something like that is it may be a form of friendliness but it's not true kindness and when you're really sincerely kind and open-hearted to people you will discover that there is this fabric of kindness that underlies your entire reality that there are people that are waiting for you out there that already know that and when they see that you take on this energy you join up to them in this kind of a kind of a silent allegiance, you know, that you begin to discover as you're being kind to people. People you formerly thought were unimportant will suddenly be like a light in your life. And it's it's even so effective that uh, in in my practice of this, I've had people offer me something that I need before I realized I needed it, you know? Complete strangers, things like that. So it's really a magical, it turns life into a very magical experience and and uh, connects us to this field of love that I think that everybody is really trying to experience. You know, that's the nature of happiness, true happiness. Mm-hmm. So there you go, action takers. This is called the challenge of radical kindness. So all day long, whatever day you choose, and whichever situation you are in, become the kindest or the sincerest self of you. And I'm sure that you will discover something new. You might form new alliances and people, uh, like Robert mentioned, will come to support you. So this is actually a challenge. Tell us what you think. What did you find? Did it work in your case as well? Send your entries to aditya at my7chakras.com. That's A-D-I-T-Y-A at my7chakras.com. And we will learn something new as well. Now, with that, Robert, we've reached the health tip round during which our guests share one health tip that can be implemented immediately. So what is that one tip that you could share with our listeners? Um, to, for one's health, you mean, right? Yes. It would be to uncoil, I think. 
That is to stop and take a deep breath and just let go, relax into life. I've heard it expressed this way, that if you're paddling upstream uh, as hard as you can to try to keep up with everything, turn around. (laughs) Turn around and lift your paddle up and allow life to carry you and watch what happens. When we uncoil physically, it's almost like, uh, like taking a great overcoat and opening it up. You're opening it up and opening your heart that way, opening your chest and uncoiling from your spine and your neck and your shoulders and relaxing into life. This gives you the kind of clarity that allows you to be present for people in a really uh, quality way. It even helps you to understand your own physicality and your own needs. I think that you uh, you eat more responsibly, uh, you speak more responsibly when you're in this kind of relaxed and surrendered state of being. So that's that's my biggest tip for uh, for health. I, it certainly has helped me a lot. Well, thanks a lot for that tip. Now, John F. Kennedy once said that we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And with this thought in mind, we are moving on to the next phase of our show, which is called the challenge round. So Robert, tell us about a time when you faced a major challenge or barrier. What were you feeling at that instant? And then how did you approach that particular challenge? Uh, there was a point in my life where I was I was working with people as a volunteer in a hospital, and I was in a ward with a group of people, and and there were all different kinds of people, and some of them were from a very rough upbringing and and had been having a really hard time, and there was a big guy who uh, bristled with uh, sort of anxious energy. And um, he was quite aggressive and began to assert um, sort of belligerent authority and was starting to kind of push people around and kind of taking over. And I was able to tap in to uh, some of this groundedness that I've been talking about and just stand in front of this fellow um, without any fear because uh, I'm you know I don't don't ask me to prove it right now but I'm not afraid to die <laughs> mm-hmm. so I was standing in front of this guy without any fear and I did this um, I was able to practice this thing that I've been talking about about opening myself up at the level of my heart chakra and allowing that energy uh, just to, to flow from me to this fellow and looking at him in the eyes with uh, as much love and compassion in my heart as I could at the time, it shifted his energy, and he uh, almost became like a like a boy, uh, kind of, you know, and seemed uh, suddenly very grateful in many ways that that I had um, that I hadn't challenged him or hadn't given him the grounds to continue acting out on, you know, mm-hmm. that the energy had changed. And uh, he became a great participant in some of the activities that we had and taught me a a wonderful lesson about the power of love, about the power of just standing up to your fears, realizing that your fears mostly aren't real. Unless, you know, there's like a bear or a crocodile, something like that, then that's real. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But most of our fears are not real. And if we simply face up to them in an open-hearted way, we can carry that energy through that experience and have a, a great effect on everyone else around us if possible. So in retrospect, what is it one major life lesson 
that our listeners can take away from your story? That we are all profoundly connected at an invisible but uh, amazing level. That we really are, in many ways, the same person having the same experience. And that the great challenge to all of us is to remove the obstacles that prevent us from realizing that. When we do, the world will become an entirely different place. We'll be able to act in a much more responsible way than we've been able to. And so... Um, Stay open-hearted. Surrender into the positive uh, power of life and allow yourself to be shown uh, what's coming next rather than trying to uh, create it yourself. Well, thanks a lot for sharing this story with us. I know it's not easy to go back to a moment of challenge, uh, but with your inspirational message, our listeners can now grow through a challenge and not just go through a challenge. And action takers... When you stand up for what you believe is true and for what you believe is right, it's never easy. But trust your intuition, trust your gut, trust what you believe in and you will make the right decision. And with that, we are now moving on to the next portion of our show, which is about finding your life's true calling or purpose. And old Japanese haiku reads, I have always known that at last I would take this road. But yesterday, I did not know that it would be today. So my question to you, Robert, is have you found your calling? If yes, what is your calling? Uh, well, I think that I have. You know, I, I'm uh, writing now and it, this is... A, it, this is to me is an amazing thing, and I want to pass this on to your listeners. For most, I'm 59 years old. For most of my life, I, I wasn't doing what I'm doing at all now. I was just living a regular life and just trying to do my best to pay my bills and to get noticed and to and to make money and get things and stuff like that, and trying to figure out relationships and the like. And then I engaged in a spiritual practice in a deeper way and had this kind of shift in my life where I thought, you know, maybe I could write about this. It was like a calling. And so I began to write about it and it began to flow from me. And it's now uh, what I do, <laughs> you know, and that's possible for anyone in life. At any moment, your life can turn 180 degrees. And if you're following, like Joseph Campbell used to say, you follow your bliss. If you're going in the direction that your heart is leading you, you can experience life in a different way and begin to live in a way that you may have never imagined that you could. And uh, that's, what's happened. that's what's happened for me, is my calling, I think, is what I'm doing right now, thanks to you, Ajitya. <laughs> you know? So you said that initially, many years back, you were trying to make money, trying to figure out relationships, but the clear indication was that you were just trying. But then you got into spirituality, you got into meditations, and you sort of figured things out, things shifted, you began to write, and this changed. And listeners, as Robert mentioned, this change does not really mean it happens just when you're in your 20s or the 30s. It can happen at any point in your life that change happens when you begin to follow your bliss and take action and i know that you the yes the one who's listening to the show right now is taking action by being exposed to such thought leaders people who have dedicated their lives to raising the level of human consciousness so you're definitely 
taking action now robert based on your story it is clear that you found your true calling so what is that one instant if is there a particular instant that you could share with our listeners beyond which you knew and you were certain that this is what you were meant to do oh boy one instant um you know uh the nature of time is kind of different for me at this point where where i imagine uh those times in my life that that informed this spiritual evolution that we're we're all going through that really informed it for me they all kind of merged together into um into this moment itself that in this very moment uh, when i listen to you speak and when i try to communicate to your listeners from my heart i'm experiencing the fact that we never die that we're always alive in this place where we always have this opportunity to experience love and to try to share this with one another and so the the instant when i realize that is at any instant you know and if i'm in trouble if i'm having a difficult time or if uh, things aren't going well i simply try to revisit this very moment and experience what i'm talking about to you Mm-hmm. and because of this wonderful moment that you are sharing your wisdom with us and because of the power of technology this particular episode is going to be there pretty much for many years together so even if it's 15 years down the line hopefully if apple itunes is still available people can go on there just press the play button and once again listen to your story listen to your insights and listen to your advice so thanks a lot for sharing and like all things come to an end we have reached the final round also known as the wisdom round uh, this is just like a rapid fire round and during this round i will ask you a series of questions and you will respond with nuggets of wisdom sound like a plan <laughs> i'll try i great i promise <laughs> so what is the best advice that you ever received uh, be kind to one another could you share with us your personal habit a personal habit that contributes to your well-being. I read spiritual uh, text almost every day when I'm riding on the subway train and then I sit and close my eyes and let it rest within me. Mhm. So what is your morning ritual like could you describe the first 2 hours of your day um sh- yeah well that, that's kind of part of it really i because i work as an animation designer in midtown manhattan mm-hmm. and uh, i have for many i've done that for many years so i get up and i have a hot beverage either a tea or a coffee and uh, my wife usually has the news on and so i'll watch a little bit of the news with her and i get ready and head off into the world i get on a subway and that's usually where i pull out a little book i impartial to the yoga aphorisms of patanjali or the bhagavad gita or the gospel of thomas um or the tao te ching those kinds of things and i'll read them a little bit and try to meditate on them a little bit in the sort in the course of my commute and uh then i'm in midtown manhattan and i'll tell you that you have to get ready for that so <laughs> then i'm off and running <laughs> true true i completely agree especially in manhattan particularly in times square 
if you're not moving along the, with the crowd and the crowd just carries you along right because everyone's in a hurry to get from one point to another and nobody really wants to wait and stand and stare probably at the sky <laughs> right it has a real pace to it that's for certain true now what you mentioned earlier really beautifully transitions into the question i wanted to ask you now is what is that one book that has made a significant impact on your life you know i suppose that that probably it would be the bhagavad gita i mean the three the four books i just mentioned are are really my go to books the the um swami prabhavananda and christopher isherwood translation of the the yoga aphorisms of patanjali which is called how to know god is the name of that book the gospels of thomas the gnostic gospels are very very important to me and uh, the bhagavad gita which is the Eknath Iswaran translation on Nilgiri Press is my favorite uh, version of that. That and Gandhi's uh, version of the his take on the Bhagavad Gita, Mahama Gandhi's, and and those are my real go to uh, my go to texts. So action takers, the links to the resources are in the show notes. So Robert, it was an honor interacting with you today. Before you go, tell us one thing that you're really grateful for. how can our listeners connect with you online and then we'll say goodbye well i'm grateful for the love in my life i'm a very fortunate man to be alive and we're all fortunate to be alive and we always will be fortunate to be alive um you can contact me uh you can always go to my blog which is robertkopeckyblogspot.com mm-hmm. uh that's where i post spiritual writings and i have a, a facebook author page to that you can contact me through and I'm on Twitter at Robert Kopecky 3 and those are the ways that you can you can contact me or read my stuff as well as at Gaia or the Mindful Word or at Soul Lifetimes all online too So Robert thanks a lot for coming on our show today sharing your invaluable wisdom and taking us one step closer to a human revolution Thank you very much Aditya. I really appreciate being here with you and your your uh, your questions and conversation were were really nice, really wonderful. Thank you. You are listening to My Seven Chakras. Go to my s e v e n chakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired and take action. Transform your life today. money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection, ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at menards.com. Save big money at When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.